0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Ubaldi Report. Now, last week, the world witnessed in horror the terror attacks by ISIS in Brussels. Now the question is, what what is the strategy in defeating ISIS? Since 2014, when really ISIS burst on the scene, the United States has been bombing and attacking ISIS. And what we've been utilizing through the president of the United States, who's articulated numerous times that we're going to use air power, and we're going to use special operations forces to go after ISIS. The question is, do we have a political strategy in defeating ISIS? Because what the president has proposed is a tactic and an operational strategy. Basically, this is what we're going to do, and this is who's going to do it. But the question that is missing, and this goes for the Republicans as well, and I'll get into this a little bit more in depth, is what are we trying to accomplish with the use of the military in defeating ISIS? Now, the famous military theorist, Carl von Clausewitz in the 19th century, wrote a book on his famous military treatise called On War. And he basically states this. War is not a mere act of policy, but a true political instrument, a continuation of political activity by other means. Now, I'm going to restate that again. War is not a mere act of policy, but a true political instrument, a continuation of political activity by other means. What Clausewitz was saying is we're using the military to accomplish a political goal that we couldn't do either economically or diplomatically. The question is, what is that political strategy? So far, since ISIS came on the scene even before 2014, but really from the American consciousness since 2014, what are we trying to accomplish in the defeat of ISIS? And once we defeat ISIS, what replaces ISIS? ISIS is a different type of terror group. It was linked to Al-Qaeda. They were kind of partnering up and they broke in 2014 over ideological reasons. ISIS is not this it's a terror organization, but it also is different than most terror organizations that it claims itself to be an Islamic state where it controls territory in both eastern Syria and the northern part of Iraq. And with controlling uh, Iraq's second largest city of Mosul. And it provides governance. It provides an infrastructure. It may be brutal, but it's providing infrastructure that al-Qaeda never did. Al-Qaeda just went after Western targets. It never controlled any um, viable um, territory. So the question is, what replaces ISIS in northern Syria? Now, we see the problem in Syria with Bashar al-Assad clinging onto power, and there's a lack of political um, lack of political vacuum there. So the question is, what replaces ISIS? Now this whole thing broke open. Now we can go back and debate, should the United States have invaded Iraq? Some on the um, the Democrats have said that was what caused the rise of ISIS. That's partly the truth, but not fully. Then we have to go back to the Arabic Spring, which sprung up when a bunch of kids defaced a wall with anti-Assad graffiti in Syria, and the Syrian um, intelligence service and security forces came down pretty hard on them, arrested them, tortured them. This is where the families rose up, and it just sprung from there. And also could go to, and this is where historians are going to have to debate the merits of this, was it strictly George Bush's fault for going into Iraq? History is going to have to look at that. Plus, you got to add in the surge of U.S. forces coincided with the Sunni Anbar awakening that turned the tide that broke the back of Al Qaeda. Or do we look at in 2010 and 2011 when President Barack Obama precipitously withdrew all U.S. forces and any leverage and influence that we had in the region, which precipitated? the demise of the Iraqi army that was trained by the United States, put in by cronies, by Maliki, and those loyal to him. So when they fought ISIS back in 2014, the lower-ranking soldiers just fled because they had no stake in the game. So this is something we have to look at. This period also coincides with how President Eisenhower, as an example, handled the Korean War. He took over. Korean uh, for the last 6 months of the Korean War when it ended he didn't remove combat forces from Korea and people need to realize that Korea had a uh, military dictatorships military coups over the decades and the last one was in 1980 which ushered in finally civilian rule so history historians are going to have to look at that but also because of the Syrian civil war the ongoing civil war which has killed Hundreds of thousands of Syrian people, you're seeing thousands fleeing through into Europe, which is part of the problem with the um, the Brussels terror attack. A lot of these, or the, the uh, some of the uh, terror terrorists who took part were in mixed with that refugee population, having flown back, you know, having gone back and forth. Europe has a different counterterrorism approach than the United States, to having problems sharing information with countries. So that's another topic, but this all plays into it. Then the other thing that was telling that came out a few weeks ago was Jeffrey Goldberg in the Atlantic wrote an article titled The Obama Doctrine and he really went into depth spent many hours with President Obama going over his his mindset. And a lot of the problem the president doesn't see ISIS or doesn't see terrorism as an existential threat to the United States. So when the um, San Bernardino and the Paris attacks last year, the president was kind of not really out front. He just caught was caught off guard, and sometimes he got upset. But the other approach is he really doesn't see terrorism as something that we need to deal with right away. He would rather pivot, and this article goes into great depth, he would rather pivot to... Um, Asia instead of dealing with the Middle East because all he sees is problems because it had come founded, especially the last president, George Bush, was heavily involved in the Middle East. But it goes into his his mindset, how he sees the world and how he sees things. Now, in this, and we'll go into depth later, um, a lot of the candidates on both sides, Democrats and Republicans, want to have the Arabs take more of a greater lead. Now, if we take that, but if we go into this article and one part of the article, he calls the our allies, most notably Saudi Arabia and England as free riders going over the coattails of the United States. Now, with England, he blames England for not taking part or not following up after they removed uh, Muammar Gaddafi out of uh, Libya. And he goes to Saudi Arabia Well, they're just going to have to live with Iran as— part of that um, area of operation, that Iran is going to be a regional power, which it is now. Saudi Arabia is just going to have to live with this. And the reason I mention this, because this goes back to the heart that we're trying to get the Arabs to come on board. Now, for the first time, at least in my memory, when you have the Sunni Arabs and the Israelis on the same side against the United States, over the United States pursuing the Iran nuclear deal— there's a kind of a problem here because these two countries, obviously, without going into the depth, Jews and Arabs really don't get along. So when you have the Israelis and the Arabs on the same side over a regional threat, that's a problem. And that's why the Arabs see Iran as the bigger threat. Now, they have a problem with ISIS, don't get me wrong on that, but their biggest approach is um, Iran. And they're very dismissive even before he became president as he was running Of Barack Obama. And the biggest thing that solidified this was when they pulled out of Iraq, but mainly when the United States, Barack Obama, issued the red line back in 2012 with regard to the movement and the usage of Syrian chemical weapons against those against the Assad uh, government. Well, chemical weapons were used and the United States was literally hours away from initiating military operations against the Syrian um, army for utilize, and the Syrian government for utilizing it. And then at the last minute, the United States or President Obama pulled away and punted that to get authority from Congress. And by doing that, it sent the, a tremor through the region that the Obama administration it cannot be trusted. So when everyone talks about trying to get Arab Armies on board, nobody's going to come on board, at least under this administration. That may change under the next administration, but if it's Hillary Clinton, and I'll go into great details on that a little bit later, we'll have to see how that works. But another thing is, especially after Brussels and after Paris and after San Bernardino, everybody was talking about let's go at it, let's do this, let's bomb this, let's bomb that especially as with regard to Donald Trump and Ted Cruz. They were the most vocal about using the military. Donald Trump keeps talking about we're going to take their oil. We should have taken their oil. Ted Cruz consistently says we're going to make the ground glow. We're going to do carpet bombing. Now, he needs to define what carpet bombing means since carpet bombing was outlawed by international treaty in 1978. Now, I, don't, I think he's meaning when we use strategic bombing – During the first Gulf War. But he needs to quit saying carpet bombing. And define what he's talking about. But this goes into the second. uh, Treatise of Clausewitz. When he says no one starts a war. Or rather. No one in his senses ought to do so. Without first being clear in his mind. What he intends to achieve by that war. And how he intends to conduct it. Now I'll repeat this again. No one starts a war. Or rather, no one in the senses ought to do so without first being clear in his mind what he intends to achieve by that war and how he intends to conduct it. Now, we can always, all of us can thump our chest and you know, yell and scream, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go after him. But they need to realize these two fundamental quotes of Clausewitz. First of all, what is the political strategy that we're trying to accomplish? And second... Once we start the war, what are we trying to accomplish? What are, we tr- what are you trying to do? Because things have a way of ter- getting out of hand. So these are what the candidates need to be asked. The media needs to challenge all the candidates on their assumptions. And when they've said, this is what I would do, and then follow up. Well, how are you going to do that? So I'll start right now. With Donald Trump and Ted Cruz, the two le- leading contenders, they talk about using the military. Donald Trump talks about using, you know, going beyond waterboarding, which was stopped in 2003. So the question is, what would he be doing? What is he trying to do? And if he uses the military, how would he use it and in what capacity? And then the both side, for both Trump and Cruz, what replaces ISIS? That hasn't been um, discussed yet. And then for John Kasich, he's probably the more. The more monotone or more um, low key of the three, but even him, he has not given a coherent strategy on what he would do because there's other outside players. If we use the military option, how does that coincide with Turkey, our Gulf allies? What would that be with Iran? Because Iran has military forces um, inside Syria. What about Russia? Russia is conducting military operations right now inside Syria. So how did that how does that play in? And what about the refugees? None of the candidates, both Republicans and Democrats have talked about beyond we're going to bar them from coming into this country. Well, that's great, but that's not solving the crux of the problem. How do you how do we stop the flow of refugees coming out of Syria? I mean, we can accept them, I guess that's another debate, but that's not solving the problem. More and more will be coming out of that region unless we come up with a policy. So the Republicans need to decide, what are we trying to do? How are we trying to do it? What replaces ISIS? Then again, going back earlier when the, when the Arabic spring first broke open, President Obama had, had routinely said Assad's days are numbered and he must step aside and, leave, and get out of power. But that's been since 2011. And then when Russia came in last year, last September— Last summer, Assad was basically on the ropes. Well, he's got new life. It looks like he's going to hang on to power. They're pushing ISIS out of Palmyra, and they pretty much virtually destroyed the Syrian rebel group against Assad. These are the groups that we were supporting. So now Russia also said we're going to be pulling out our forces, but they're still heavily involved in there, and now they're heavily involved in the region because of the United States' perception of disengagement a lot of the traditional Sunni allies are now looking to Russia in other countries. Qatar just signed a weapons deal with um, France for some of its advanced fighters, where typically that would have gone to the United States. But now, going from onto the Democratic side, now Hillary Clinton, right after Brussels, gave a very low key, statesman like speech in Stanford University out in California. But the question she's gonna have, and nobody asked her when she said we need to get the Arabs on board, we need to arm the Kurds, we need to arm the Sunnis, we need to get the we need to work with our allies. How is she gonna be doing that when they remember her as the Secretary of State in Barack Obama's first term when the Arabic Spring popped up? We proceed we precipitously pulled out of Iraq. And also she was instrumental in getting the – at least getting the nuclear agreement with Iran started, and she's a big uh, supporter of that. Well, that's an anthem to our Sunni allies. How is she going to get them on board? Now, there's talk of – even Bernie Sanders talks about having the Arabs take the lead in going into Syria to remove um, ISIS. The problem with that strategy is the Arab armies are tied up in other areas. Saudi Arabia is heavily involved fighting Shiite, Houthi, Iranian-backed rebels in Yemen. ISIS is involved in the Sinai, which Egypt now controls. Egypt is uh, fighting there. ISIS has is metastasized and moved all over the Middle East and beyond. So the, and then if you go into Iraq, because of our precipitous withdrawal, the Iraqi army was virtually overnight changed into what Maliki wanted. Now they're heavily controlled by the Iranians. Which is a Shiite dominated um, government because Iran's a Shiite dominated country. So the question is, how does all this play in and how is she going to do this? Now, Bernie Sanders, he talks about things that you want to hear. I mean, we got to use the allies, we got to do the things we said we need to do, but will he be committed? Because he's always talked, said these things, but he just pivots back to the economy. So basically, the two top contenders, Donald, I mean, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, both of them have, on different sides, have given vague and unrealistic expectations. But the big thing missing on both of them is how. How would they get this stuff done? How would they defeat ISIS while working with our regional allies? Now, Robert Gates, the former Secretary of Defense under George Bush and Barack Obama, He said in an interview with Charlie Rose on PBS, and he basically said this. He goes, other powers have their own strategic interests that are not aligned with us. All the powers, you got Iran, Russia, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, and the Gulf States, Egypt, Israel, all have different goals and strategies how they see this this, uh, civil war in Syria, especially as it relates to ISIS. Some of them don't see ISIS as a threat Right now, they see other things. So the United States needs to articulate this. How will we do this? And so far during the campaign, I haven't heard any of the candidates, neither the political parties, nor have I heard the media ask these tough, tough questions. So I'm going to be asking now, how would they defeat ISIS? What's the strategy for replacing ISIS? And then go into how do we end the Syrian civil war? Do we replace Assad? Does Assad get to stay? That's going to have ramifications from our allies. Because from the beginning, Turkey and the Gulf states and Saudi Arabia, they wanted to see Assad go. That's their problem. The Gulf states and the Sunni Arabs, they see Iran under this, an ascendancy. They want to get rid of Assad because they see that as a conduit from Iran to um, to Syria, to Hezbollah in the... Um, in Lebanon and Iran has sent money and weapons and they're using Iranian backed cud um, force in um, in Syria. Now Russia they're aligned themselves with um, with Syria. They see Assad as their backer. They're against regime change especially what happened in Syria. But also uh, the Russians under Vladimir Putin they want to keep their military bases in at um, the two military bases at um, in Syria, there, so they've got that done right now. Especially when they intervened, so they're, they're not so much trying to stop ISIS now. Now they're going after ISIS because they see it as a twofold thing. They got a couple things. They want to keep Assad in power. They definitely want to expand their influence in the region. They've done that now since they've been out of there since 1973. All. Most of the Gulf states, including our most trusted ally, they look to Russia as the ascending power in the region, at not the United States. Now, Russia also wants to keep Islamic fundamentalism from spreading to Russia's southern border. If you remember the Boston bombing, the Sunayev brothers came from Chechnya and Dagestan. So they want to try to prevent that fundamentalist from going. Um, causing problems in southern Russia, and they've had terror attacks up in Moscow and some other Russian cities. But the um, the question is, what role does the United States play? What is our strategic interest? And nobody's articulated that quite yet. Now, Iran, they also want to keep Assad in power because they look at Assad and the Alawites, which are kind of a, a cousins to the Shiite faith, to to have that conduit so they can send military supplies, equipment, and money to Hezbollah in Lebanon. So they want to keep that. But they also see um, ISIS threatening Iraq. So that's why they're heavily invested in Iraq right now, trying to strengthen the Iraqi government, strengthen the Iraqi army. Now, we had that role, and now we virtually have no really kind of a say of what's going on in the Baghdad government. So that's I mean, everybody has their issue. Now ISIS threatens Shiites because obviously they look at them as a heretic to the Sunni um brand of Islam. But for right now, Iran sees Assad first to keep Assad in power, keep the um the Shiite dominated government from falling. And that's how what where they seen it from there. Now Turkey under the Ottoman Empire, up until World War I, was the dominant re- kind of power in that region until after that. Then it was the British and then eventually became the United States. But they want to prevent a Kurdish homeland. They, and that's really their big focus is to prevent, because up in that west, east, excuse me, the eastern portion of Turkey, the eastern portion of, what do you call it, uh, uh, Syria, northern part of Iraq, and parts of that far eastern portion of Iran – The Kurdish called that their traditional homeland. So they're trying to prevent a Kurdish um, homeland there. Also refugees spilling into their country. And they're trying to gain influence that Turkish democracy, even though it's not an Arab country, but it's a Muslim country to have greater influence to the Middle East. So, and ISIS isn't their top threat. It's a threat, but they've wanted to see Assad removed first. So, everybody has different strategic interests now saudi arabia and the gulf state their biggest threat is iran because like i said earlier they have saudi arabia is heavily involved uh, focusing on iran back houthi rebels in yemen and isis is a secondary threat to iran because they see Iran's encircling them in yemen iraq lebanon, lebanon and syria so everybody has their interests and finally egypt they're trying to fight. I mean, fight ISIS terror groups in the Sinai. So, as a, I know this is kind of broad, but as these candidates discuss this stuff, it's easy to say we need to get our allies on board. Well, what does that mean? How are we going to do that? Considering eight years of the Obama administration, he's really had a, been difficult for our allies. He really distanced themselves by calling them out as free riders. That's where Hillary Clinton's gonna have a problem because if she becomes president, the allies, especially in the Gulf states, they're gonna say, We're done. We, you're just another extension of Barack Obama. Now, this is not being critical of her, this is just reality on the ground. And also, the Republicans, they need to be more diplomatic and more presidential. I know uh, Donald Trump gives out these bombastic statements I'm gonna do this, we're gonna water, we're gonna go beyond waterboarding. He needs to coincide what does he mean what are some of the things he would do so we need to have a a definite strategy and we need to have a foreign policy debate because nobody wants to put boots on the ground and we got to define that term there are boots on the ground special forces special operatives are boots that's american military personnel and it seems like we're going back to this incrementalism like we had in vietnam We'll send a few more. That'll do it. If that didn't work, we'll send a few more. Before we get into that, we need to have a definite strategy. What are we trying to do? To go back to Clausewitz, war is not a mere act of policy but a true political instrument, a continuation of political activity by other means. What is our strategy for ISIS? What replaces ISIS? And what's our strategy for the region? The country needs to know this, the world needs to know this, and our allies need to know this. I'm going to keep hammering these questions on these candidates because it doesn't seem like the press is. Keep pressing the candidates. Get the media to to, um, challenge these candidates and just to get better informed. Listen to Ubaldi reports. I'll still keep challenging these, um, these candidates. Let me know what you think. You can go to iTunes and Stitcher, sign up. It's free. Listen to all you want. Go to Ubaldi Reports on my website. Leave a message. You can email me up there, my address and contact information. What do you want to hear? If you get the chance, also go to Amazon and any major book manufacturer like Barnes & Noble. You can get the book I wrote. It's called The New Business Brigade, Why Businesses Need to Hire Veterans and the Untapped Resource They Represent. Keep listening to Ubaldi Reports, and let's challenge our, our leaders because whatever decision or whatever whoever gets elected, that's our government. So we get the government we want, even though if we didn't take part, if we don't take part, this is what we get. Again, thanks for listening to Ubaldi Report. Tune in next time, and we'll keep pressing our candidates and pressing these candidates who are running for president. Take care and continue listening.